Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen. So grateful for our great God and all that he has done in our lives. For his amazing grace, for his goodness and his mercy to undeserving people like me. And I'm, I'm reminded that we should reflect and remember what it felt like to be lost and that our great God has found us and he has saved us and redeemed us and has given us the blessing of being part of his family and to be used uh, to further his kingdom. Uh, let's pray together. Father, we're grateful, Lord, for all that you have done. Lord, we recognize that our salvation is of your grace and your mercy. And God, we are unworthy, but we are so grateful. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to live in light of your grace, in light of your mercy. And Lord, that we might be people who proclaim your grace everywhere we go. Father, we pray that if someone's here this morning, God, whether they've been in church their whole life, or whether this Sunday is the first time they've walked in a building like this, Lord, we pray that they would encounter you through the power of your word. Lord, we come under the authority of your word, and we pray, God, that you would accomplish, Lord, and we trust and know, God, that you will accomplish what you desire through your word this morning, Father. And so we rest in that. And we ask for your blessing on our service in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, you know, a lot of us uh, may spend time looking for things that we have misplaced. Uh, our, our staff kind of laughs at me sometimes, and they enjoy some of those moments because all of a sudden they'll just see me kind of wandering around the office, and I'll be just kind of looking, not saying much, just kind of looking here and there. And, and every now and then, uh, Chris will be gracious, and he'll kind of look at me and say, hey, what, what are you hunting? And he'll begin the hunt with me, and, and it's just a little bit of my nature. That's just a little bit of, uh, I can't quite remember what I do with certain things. And uh, this past week, I was praying about this service, and I'd been uh, just marinating on Luke chapter 15. And if you want to take your copy of God's Word, that's where we're going to be today, if you want to open to Luke 15. And many of you are familiar with that chapter, and you hear that chapter, and you know that that chapter is pointing uh, to the lost and found, right? To, uh, to the lost sheep, the lost coin, uh, the lost silver right? The lost sheep, the lost silver, the lost sons. We see those kind of things. And, and as we enter into this passage, we're reminded uh, that we have a great God who is searching and, and who is seeking and saving uh, the lost, who is at work in the midst of our world. And when I think about those things, I'm so grateful for his amazing grace. I'm so grateful that when I wasn't looking for him, that he was looking uh, for me. Uh, I'm thankful uh, for his goodness and his mercy and his work on the cross that has made a way uh, for us to be saved. Now, when I think about losing things around the house, and when I think about this passage today, last Sunday, I got home from church, and my son Grant, who is almost 13, had lost something of great value to him, right? And we know what it's like when we're looking for something that's of great value. And so we got home, and he was on a search for his AirPods. Now, uh, things have, yeah, I saw like the students popped up. They're like, yeah, we got to help him find those things, right? They're 
I mean, this is serious. And so, so we're looking for these AirPods, and Grant remembers some things about them. He says, hey, I, I know that I had them on the way home from church, and I remember having them as I walked in the house. Now, Grant had saved up his money in order to purchase these AirPods, and so we know that when we've saved up some money and we've invested, that things even have a greater value. And so he's looking for these AirPods. He says, I remember, and I came in, and I put them right here on the counter. I remember those things. Now, I can't remember where I put anything, but Grant, unlike me, generally remembers exactly where he's put them. So we begin to comb and look through the house, and we begin to ask him, do you remember where you went? Do you remember what you did next? Do you remember? And we're thinking, you know, he probably didn't put them there because they're not there right now. And so where were you at? And I'm thinking about me, like, I don't remember what I did with those things. And so we're thinking, well, maybe they're at church because he, uh, he didn't listen to them on the way home. So maybe he left them there. Maybe we're, we're having all these maybes that are coming into our mind. And then I'm reminded that in uh, Apple world, like there's this thing called find my devices. And so in my iPhone, I'm able to pull up all of my family's devices. And so I pull up uh, the find my device function and find my iPhone function. And I see this, Grant's AirPods are home now. So it kind of narrows the search just a little bit. We begin to keep looking and we go through this week and we're looking for these AirPods and we're trying to find them. We're going everywhere. We're, we're looking through the trash. Like I, I've learned, like I, I'm pretty bad at just kind of leaving things laying around. And, and our house would be a tremendous mess if it was left up to me. But my wife is not so much about laying things around. And when things are out of place, she will put them somewhere for us sometimes. Mm-hmm. Some of y'all said, mm-hmm. You're supposed to say thank you because you don't want to get in trouble right now. And so, and so she, we're, we're coming up with these ideas. I'm like, I'm sure Sherry may have put them somewhere. And so we've, we've been looking everywhere from these. And I'll go ahead and tell you, we found those later this week. It took us like all week long. And there was this moment where uh, we were able to look on a camera. And on this camera, it showed Grant laying those on top or beside of uh, Hope's purse on that counter. And we didn't get to see exactly what happened from that moment. But we happened to see that. And so Sherry goes and opens up the bottom pouch on Hope's purse. And in the bottom pouch is his AirPods. And so Grant immediately is rejoicing. I'm getting messages. We found the AirPods. And when Grant's, uh, you know, sending messages to Hope going, you have some explaining to do about my AirPods, right? And so there's that kind of moment. And we're all rejoicing because the lost had been found. But as I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about Luke 15, and I was thinking about this beautiful picture that Jesus is going to give us. He's going to teach us through parables, right? There's these earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. And we're going to see uh, some things about our great God. We're going to see some things maybe about ourselves in the midst of that story. And I'm reminded as we begin this chapter, and we're going to look at the context of this in just a moment, that by the end, we see this elder brother who is at home, but the thing that stuck out to me was there were Grant's AirPods, and we were looking for them everywhere, but they were at home, at the, and they were lost at the Father's house. And I want to speak to you this morning on Luke 15 and the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. And I want to challenge you with this thought that we can be lost in the Father's house. And we're going to jump in this morning in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. The scripture says this, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. Now remember last week and what a blessing it was to get to team teach with Pastor Chris and 
just an amazing job that he did in that. And if you remember last week, there was these strong words of Jesus where he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you follow along in Luke chapter 14, you're going to see strong words like that uh, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're going to see things like if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And there's this challenge and this call that we would love him so much that everything else would pale in comparison to that great love that we would have for him. We would see crowds are beginning to gather and they're beginning to follow Jesus. We would uh, read of the feeding of the 5,000 and how those would come for what Jesus might give them and the challenging words that he might give in response to that. But in this passage, we see that there's another group of people that have began to gather around Jesus. There's another group of people that have desired to be in his presence. These tax collectors and these sinners, they're attracted to Jesus. And I want to remind you this morning that Jesus loves people that no one else does. That Jesus loves people that society might look at, that the world around us might look at. That that he loves those people that are publicly, notoriously sinners. He loves them. He engages with them. The undesirable, Luke 19.10 says that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And that Jesus Jesus is one who is loving sinners, right? And what we see is that there's some people that don't like it. The religious people of that day are not excited about Jesus' embracing and loving of the tax collectors and sinners. Verse 2, he says, both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They're unhappy about this moment. And Jesus, verse 3 begins to teach them a parable. And for the sake of time, we're not going to read every verse, but there's three parables, three stories that we see in this chapter, and they're all reinforcing the same truth. And then there's one particular group of people that Jesus wants these Pharisees and scribes to get a good glimpse at and see themselves in the story. Now, in verse 3 through 7, we read uh, about this shepherd who has a 100 sheep. And and this shepherd uh, has a 100 sheep, and one of those wanders off, right? And this sheep wanders off because it's a sheep. That's what sheep do, right? That's what God refers to us as his sheep. They're not the smartest animals in the barnyard, right? And they, they wander off. This sheep wanders because of its nature. And we see this loving shepherd leave the 99, and he goes after the one. And what we see is that he scoops it up. He places this sheep on his shoulders and he begins to come back and as he carries this sheep back in the loving hands of the great shepherd right we see this beautiful picture and when he's doing that he's inviting everyone to come he's so excited that he has found this lost sheep so he is inviting uh, his neighbors everybody come rejoice with me look what's happened you know this week uh, I was at country kitchen and and one of the guys that was there with me uh, is in the room right We're, we're at country kitchen there's this dog that gets loose out of in front of country kitchen this dog's going everywhere. And his little owner, the little lady, she is chasing him. The dog thinks it's a game. The dog has no idea that he's in danger. The dog has no idea that he's in a mess. But his owner is chasing everywhere. And we were blessed to get to see this dog kind of run and, and be caught. And then she picks him up. She puts him in the car. I was thinking, man, it's a great week for lost stuff, right? And so the lost dog was found. And everybody outside of the country kitchen restaurant is rejoicing because the dog was found. The dog was Safe. And in Luke 15, verse 7, Jesus says this, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There's rejoicing in heaven over repentant 
sinners. Now, the Pharisees, they had a saying that said there's joy in heaven over one sinner who is obliterated, over one sinner who is wiped out. But Jesus gives this beautiful picture, and he says, here is what heaven looks like. There's rejoicing in heaven over repentant sinners. Now, the people are rejoicing. Heaven is rejoicing, but the Pharisees are not. The lost coin, verse 8 and 9, we see that this coin is misplaced. And, and the intention of this parable, as we see in the beginning, there's one of a hundred sheep. So there's one percent of these sheep that is lost. And then now all of a sudden there's a lady who has ten coins. And these ten coins, one of those coins is lost. And, and it's intended to, to get the stakes a little bit higher each time. And some scholars might say that this was part of a necklace that would be given as part of a bridal uh, gift in those times. That there was a necklace that a lady would wear that had ten coins and one of those that were missing. Some others might say that this was all that she had. And, and she lost this coin. And we would picture her. She is sweeping the house. And when you think about sweeping the house, it's not because she hadn't cleaned in a little while. It just had a lot of dust. It was a dirt floor, right? So she is looking in the midst of all those things. And she is combing everything, looking for this one coin that is lost. And, and when we see this, right, we, we, we can relate because there are things that are important to us. I was thinking about, you know, things that we've lost over the years that were important. I brought a couple of things. This right here is a little penguin named Wawa. Now, some of the girls are, are smiling at this because this long to my hope, right? And then so when she was little, when she was one year old, she wasn't sleeping. We read this book. It said, hey, do all these things. And part of that, get her a toy, something that you can put in the bed with her and she'll hold on to it. This little guy's name is Wawa. And if you call it a penguin, at least when she was little, you would get in a lot of trouble because this is not a penguin. This is a Wawa. Now, it was very important. And there were times that we lost it. There were times that we left it at restaurants and we went through great lengths to make sure that we found Wawa. My son, we did the same thing with. This right here is a little monkey. His name is Monkey. It's <laughs> his name. I didn't name him. And so, and so Grant loved this little monkey. And, and so anytime we would go, he would make sure he had his, his little monkey. And, and at night, he had his little monkey. Well, one time, uh, Linda and Michelle Dowdle, they would always look after our kids when we were doing things. And, uh, and, and Linda and Michelle had him, and they were driving home. And Grant said, monkey, fly. And he put him out the window, and he's like, ooh. <laughs> Y'all know the rest of the story, right? He did. He did fly. He flew. And so, so they let us know that like monkey flew. And so they're on the side of the road, right? And they are searching for this lost monkey because there's a little boy who is distraught. Now the monkey didn't even know he was lost, right? But the monkey was of great value to my son. And so once we lost the one monkey, we said, we're going to make sure we... <laughs> I don't remember exactly like all the, like, like he had some skimp from, I think, hitting on the road and stuff like that. You get another monkey, and you're like trying to skin him up, make him look the same, like so you can have a foolproof monkey in case we lose that monkey. And so those things are important, right? And when it's found, right, we were rejoicing. All of us were rejoicing. We were so excited. We were so, so excited. In Luke 15, 10, Jesus says this in the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's rejoicing in heaven over repentant sinners. This is what heaven is like. This is what it looks like in heaven when lost people are found. This is what it looks like when sinners repent. And this, my friends, is what the church should look like. This is what we should look like. We should be a people who are all about the Father's business. And we rejoice when sinners come home. We rejoice when sinners repent. This is what it should be like. And then Jesus ups the stakes even higher. 
And in your, your, your Bibles, there may be a place that, that separates this passage, and it'll say the prodigal son. And we think the prodigal means someone who has wandered off, but it's simply this wasteful. Uh, prodigal just means wasteful, and, and this thought of, of just spending everything, this, this thought of just being uh, crazy, reckless with the things that we have, with the, 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 the money that we've had. And so here's this prodigal son, right, this And the stakes get higher, right? Jesus says, and a man had two sons, verse 11. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Now, it's important to see what the next sentence says in this. So he divided his wealth between them. Now, it wasn't like he just said, hey, uh, older son, you can have your part. And young, or, or younger son, excuse me, you can have your part. And the older son, he just has to kind of, you know, hang in there and survive. He said he divided his estate between them. And that, now, what happens in these next verses are very familiar. But I want you to lean into this part because this would have caused those that were under the hearing of Jesus' voice to gasp because it was, it was un unheard of that a son would ask for his inheritance early. It was basically like looking at his father and saying, I wish you were dead. But since you are not, one thing that you could do is to go ahead and divide up your assets. Go ahead and sell these things. Go ahead and give me my inheritance early. You are dead to me and I want these things. Cash in your retirement. Give me your part. And here's this devastated father, and he is giving uh, his inheritance. He's giving this peace. He divides his property among them. Verse 13, and not many days later. It didn't take him long once he had those things that he began to be thinking, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to do my own thing. And verse 13 says that not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and he went on a journey to a distant country. Now we uh, can imagine these moments. He's looking and he's saying, I can't wait to get here because what I'm going to find there is going to bring me pleasure. It's going to complete. It's going to uh, give me the joy that I'm waiting for. I'm tired of being home. I'm tired of being in that place. And I'm going to go and I'm going to find joy. And the scripture says that he goes to this distant country and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, you can imagine that in some of these first things, he was probably pretty popular. He had wealth. He had things. And all of a sudden... When he's in this distant country, I imagine that there was a, 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 a time before he hit the bottom that probably seemed fun. There was a time that, that was, was uh, experiencing some of the pleasures of this world in those moments. But the scripture says that he squandered his estate with loose living. And in verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country and he began to be impoverished. Now, when we read that word squandered, right, I want you to understand this is the condition of all of us. This is the condition of humanity. When we read about the fall, what we understand is that Adam and Eve, right, they squandered all the blessings and all the goodness and all the the, the blessings that they had for this one forbidden fruit, right, for the one thing that they couldn't have. They were willing to trade it all, right, to go their own way. And what we see is that we have those same tendencies in our life, right, that we are sinners by nature and by choice and, and when we spent everything, he, he had got rid of everything, and all of a sudden he hits the bottom. Now, this is not just a, an economic downturn. This is not just that gas prices are 20 cents higher at the pump or a dollar higher at the pump. This is not just the stock market has fallen a bit. When it says severe famine, this is a serious moment. He's got rid of everything. He's gone to every pawn shop that you could think of. He's got rid of everything that he can, and he is down to nothing. And what we see is that he had made it for a little while. 
Nobody wakes up one morning and says, you know what? I, I want to get all this stuff on my desk and I'm going to go spend it all. I'm going to go blow it all on things that don't matter. That's not how it works. But gradually, those kind of things happen. And what we remember in the old saying is that sin will take you further than you want to go, right? It'll keep you longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you want to pay. And that's what we see in this passage. He has squandered everything away and he is in a mess. Look at verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. Right? He reaches a place of desperation. And, and he sells him. He's like, he's like I'll, I'll do anything. And he, in this Jewish young man finds himself feeding the pigs, right? And I want you to understand that this is a much bigger deal than what we would even catch on the surface, right? If we understand things about these Jewish children, right? They could not touch swine. They, they, this would have been another moment, right? Where the listeners would have gasped, right? They're not to have any contact with pigs. They didn't have piggy banks. They didn't have, I'm telling you, this was like as far as you could imagine, right? They want nothing to do with this. And here he is feeding the swine and, and he recognizes that, that he would like to be eating what those pigs are eating, he, he recognizes that they're eating better than he is, and nobody's looking after him. All those friends that probably were close to him when he was able to provide the party, all those things that promised him the popularity, all those things are gone. All those things have ended up with nothing, and nobody's given him anything. And so we see him in this desperation, and he makes this declaration, right? He understands his condition. He understands the place that he is in. Look at verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, how many of my father hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. And so he's in this place of desperation. He, he comes to, to grips with this moment of where he's at and he makes this declaration. He's like, my father's hired hands have more than enough to eat. And here I am starving to death. And then he says, you know what? I know what I'm going to do. I, I, I know what I need to do. I'm in this mess, but I'm going home. So he makes this decision right to head home. And he begins to think about what's going to happen when he gets there. And so you can imagine him. He's wrestling with all this. And he's like, I've got to go back uh, to my father and I need to prepare exactly what I'm going to say. I need to prepare how I'm going to talk to him. He prepares this apology letter. Verse 18, he says this. He says, I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, father, and, and this is a beautiful picture of repentance. Can I remind you? He says, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. He says, listen, not only have I sinned against you, but I've sinned against God. That's what repentance is. When we understand that we've transgressed against the holy God, David, when he was repentant of his sin, he said against you, oh God, and you alone have I sinned. And here he is. He says, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And here's what he says. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He, he said, I'm no longer worthy. Blessed, right, Jesus said, are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize their desperation, who recognize their need, who recognize their unworthiness. Right? And he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he gets up, verse 20, and he says, while he was still a long way off, his father, he says, so he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Right? His father had been looking for him. His father 
was waiting for him. And, and the scripture says that his father, while well, he was a long way off, that he saw him. And I love the wording in the scripture in the Greek. And, and he says he felt compassion for him. My favorite word in the Greek is to tell a star, right? What Jesus cried out on the cross that said, it is finished. The debt has been paid, paid in full. My next favorite word in the Greek is the word that we see when we see Jesus have compassion. The scripture said that he looked uh, and he looked and saw the crowds, right? And they were like sheep without a shepherd, right? And he had compassion for them. When we read in this passage, it says when he was a long way off that the father saw him and had compassion for him. It's splaglitzomai in the Greek. And it's this word that refers to uh, the, 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 the inner parts of our stomach, right? The bowels. And it's this picture that he looks at them and he's moved with so much compassion that it literally tears his guts up, right? It literally, he is moved on the inside. And this compassion that we see is a compassion that as we look as the church of Jesus Christ, as those who have experienced his grace, this is how we're supposed to look at a world that is around us, that is lost and desperate for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it should tear us up. It should move us on the inside and it should move us to a point that it moves us to action. And so it says that his father saw him. He felt compassion for him and that this father and understanding in this ancient culture in this time we don't see many men running right now right but but here's the thing in this ancient time uh, for a man to slip up his robe and to get undignified and to run is a crazy thing for it to happen and here this father's moved so much for his son that he pulls up his robe that he pulls up these things and he begins to run and he goes and he embraces him the scripture says and he kissed him right he had compassion for him he, he ran to him and then he says this he says listen here's what I want you to do he said go Go and get the best robe. Go and get the best robe for him. And go and put it on him. And the best robe, guess who that would have belonged to, right? The best robe would have belonged to the father. Then he says, go and get the best robe and put it on him. And get a ring. He said, I want you to put a ring on him because I want to restore the authority. Uh, and he's going to be restored as a son. Uh, he interrupts him, right? He's got this big letter prepared. He's got all these things he wants to say. And he embraces him. He says, go get the best robe. Get a ring. Put some sandals on him his feet. He is no longer poor. You get him in those things. And he said, and by the way, there's a calf I've been fattening for this very moment. There's a calf that I, that's been waiting for this moment that we're going to have a party because my son who was lost is now home. This is what he says, right? Look at this. He says, we're going to celebrate. Look at verse 24. He says, for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they begin to celebrate. All through this passage, right, there is joy and there is rejoicing. And Jesus wants us to see this is what heaven is like. This is what is going on. Heaven is rejoicing, not because a sinner never sinned, right? That's not the thing. That's not why heaven is rejoicing, right? We understand that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that there's none of us righteous, not even one. And heaven is not rejoicing because a sinner never sinned. Heaven is rejoicing because a sinner has come home. A sinner is there. And this would be, this would be a beautiful spot for the story to stop. And we would think, man, this is a great story. When we identify, right? This is, this is all of us. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, right? We can identify with this story. This is our story, right? We have rebelled against the Holy God and we were separated from God because of our sin and through circumstances and through all these different things that happen. We, we are made aware and understand our separation and our brokenness and our unworthiness. 
And we experience the grace of God as we repent and believe in him. We, we come to our senses in those moments, right? And we run to the Father. We, we come home and we are received with grace and mercy. We are received with the love of the Father. But the story doesn't stop in those moments. Verse 25 says, now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music. And dancing. So the older son's been home and he's out working. He's out doing these things and he hears music and dancing. He summons one of the servants and begins inquiring, What could these things be? What's going on here? The servant responds to him, verse 27, and says, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But notice the brother's response. But he became angry and he was not willing to go in. And notice what the father does, right? The father goes to him as well. And scripture says that he is pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours. I've been here doing the work, right? You've never given even me a young goat. So that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice he says when this son of yours, he didn't say, when my brother came home, right, he looked, he said, when this son of yours, he's nothing to me. He's nothing to me. I've been here working, and he squandered. He squandered the estate. There's things that are missing here because of his rebellion. There's things that, that we would have had. He, he sinned against you. He, he's, I have nothing to do with him, right? He says, he, this son of yours who's devoured your wealth with prostitutes. Now, the scripture doesn't say that he was with prostitutes, right? But the, the younger or the older brother, right? He's maybe putting this in there. He's assuming what's happened in those moments. He says, this son of yours who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him and said to him, son, listen, listen. he said, you killed the, the fattened calf for him? And the father responds to him and says, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost. And has been found. Right, we hear these stories. Right, We hear of these two brothers. The one who is rebellious. The one who is squandering everything away. And then we hear of this elder brother. Both are rebellious. Both are lost. Both are separated. Both are in this mess. Just indifferent. Ways. And what I'm reminded of is that in one, it's the sinner that's easy to see. It's the sinner that's easy to see. The one that is out in the midst of this world who is squandering and partying and living it up. It's the sinner who's easy to see. But the second brother in this story, it's the sinner that's easy to be. It's the one that if we look deep within us, we can see it in us. We, there's, there's this part of us that says, God, I, I've been doing all these things for you. And this has happened in my life. There's, these, there, there's a little bit of that that can be in all of us, right? But, but here's the thing. Here's this, this brother who's in the fields working, 
But he has missed the heart of his father. He is there doing all these things, and he has missed the father's heart. And this parable, if you go back to the very beginning, this parable, this is what Jesus was pointing to. This is what he wanted the scribes and Pharisees to see. He wanted them to see that this is who they are, that here they are. Jesus is beginning to engage with tax collectors and sinners, and, 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 and he's mad about mercy. These Pharisees are saying, listen, I've been following the law. I've been trying to do all these things. I've been in your word. I've been doing all these things. And they're mad about mercy. They're upset about the grace of God. They're upset that God is doing those kind of things. And they're thinking, you know what? I've been here working all along, and I deserve more than this. I deserved a party all along. And here you are. You've thrown everything for this brother who's been out living in the midst of rebellion. And what you need to see is that these two sons in the story, they are both just as lost. But I believe the second one is even harder to find. I believe the second is even harder to find. See, the older brother was at the father's house. But just like those little AirPods were home now, they were lost as they could be. And here was this older son at the father's house. And he was lost in the father's house. There was a, there was a celebration that was going on. It was his brother that had come home in repentance. There was a party that was taking place, and the older brother should have been rejoicing in those moments just the same. But he was upset because of the grace of God. He, he was so busy working for the Father that he had missed the heart of the Father. And if we have missed grace, listen, if we are upset when people receive grace, if we have missed grace, then we have missed everything. If we have missed that, we have missed the heart of the Father. And the desire of the Father in this passage was simple, for sinners to come home. God welcomes and forgives repentant sinners. That's what this passage teaches us, that God welcomes and forgives repentant sinners. And here the story ends. Right, I told you where we found the, the AirPods and the story kind of completes, but here this story ends. And in a lot of ways, it feels like it's ended without the rest of the story. What happened to the older brother? Where, what, what went on? What's going on? But I want to remind you in closing that the story ends with a cross. See, the story ends with the grace and mercy of Jesus as he made a way for both the rebellious and the self-righteous to turn from their sin and to trust in him. The third stun in the story. That's who the whole story is about, right? He's the one telling the story and his name is Jesus. And in his mercy and grace, he goes to the cross. And if we believe and repent of our sins, he clothes us in a robe of his righteousness and allows us to be able to come into the presence of the Father. He goes to the cross and takes on all of our sin. He takes all of our mess. And he begins to call out and invite us to come to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And those that come through me, they're clothed in my righteousness, not in the works of their own. And see, just like this, the son in this story, clothed in a robe from the grace of his father, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, not because of our works, but because of what Jesus has done on the cross and our response, right? No matter whether we are out in the midst of the world going our own way, rebellious, or whether we are self-righteous, maybe we've grown up in church, maybe we've been in those places, right? Maybe we say, you know what, I, I, I've been in church my whole life. Listen, we both need a Savior. The only way to relationship 
with the Father is through Jesus Christ. No matter how much we've done, no matter how much works, we so many times we, we talk to people and they say, you know, hey, I, I think I'm going to be able to go to heaven because my good outweighs my bad or because of all these things. I want you to understand the only way that we will be able to go to heaven is because we have repented of our sin and placed our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we have a righteousness that's not our own. We've been made right through belief and faith in him, clothed in a robe of the righteousness of Christ. See, Jesus is how the Father runs to us. It's how the Father extends compassion to us. My hope is this morning that no matter where we are, that we might hear the words of the Father. He would say, come home. Come home. My grace is sufficient. Scripture says that it's by grace through faith that we are saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. My hope is that we might look to the cross of Christ. You know, there's a a fear. When I read the scriptures and as I read the Sermon on the Mount, there's a place in Matthew 7 that causes me to shudder, causes my heart just to, to stir and to move and There's a place in the scripture where Jesus says, many will come to me in that day. As I think about those people that would come in that day, Jesus said that many will come and say, did I not do all of these things? In your name, was I not a deacon? Was I not a pastor in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not do all these works? The scripture says that they would hear these words, depart from me. I never knew you. We can be in the Father's house. We can be in the Father's house for years and not have a relationship with Jesus. And my fear is that there are people that will stand before God one day. And the reason that that fear is in my life so strong is because I was one of them. For many years of my life, I would say, you know what, I'm a Christian. I mean, what else would I check, right? What else would I be? I mean, I've been to church. Fact is, at a vacation Bible school with a bunch of my friends, a pastor extended an invitation, and I walked an aisle. I got to, to an altar, and he said, you know what? If you, if you repeat this prayer after me, then you're going to be okay. And I repeated that prayer. But I had no understanding of the gospel. I had no understanding of grace. All I knew is that he said, if you don't want to go to hell, this is what you need to do. And hell is a real place. But I want you to know, heaven is not going to be filled with people that are simply afraid of hell. It's going to be filled with people that have trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior and repented of their sins and believed the gospel. My heart is heavy this morning. There might be people under the sound of my voice that have been in church. That have been at the Father's house. That might be serving on committees. That might be serving in different ways. But have never experienced the grace of God. That have never gotten to a place that they recognize. That they don't bring anything to the table. That there's nothing righteous in us that earns our way to salvation. That it is all in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And his sacrifice on the cross in our place. And I just want to ask you this morning. Is it possible that there could be people here. Is it possible that maybe some of you are lost and in the Father's house? But the good news is, 
that he cries out, come home. Come home. He sees you in your condition. Maybe, you're, maybe you've never been in, in church much. Maybe you're living in rebellion out in the midst of the brokenness of the world and living in a, a sin that's easy to see. Listen, I want to tell you that if you'll come home, the Father's looking for you. The circumstances that you're in that have gotten you to the bottom in these moments. He's aware of those things and he's using those that you might reach a place of desperation. That you might come home. So for the self-righteous that's rebellious, come home. For those who are sinful in the midst of this world and more visible, come home. And for all of us who have experienced the grace of God. May we be a people that rejoice when sinners come home. May we be a people who extend mercy and grace as it's been extended to us. And the invitation this morning is simple. Come home. Turn from your sin and trust in him. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful for these incredible stories and the beauty that God, that we can see of your, your great love for us and your compassion. Lord, I'm so thankful that through Jesus Christ, you ran to us in the midst of our brokenness. That he who was without sin became sin on our behalf. That Jesus took on all of our sin and all of our shame. The punishment that we deserved. And he says, whoever would believe and trust in me, that they would not perish, but that they would have eternal life. Lord, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you, whether they've been in church their whole life, if there's someone here that's never repented of their sin and placed their faith in you, and I pray that they could hear the power of your, your words, Lord, come home. That they would know that God, you are looking for them. God, that, that you are drawing them to yourself. Father, have your will and way in every life. And Lord, help us to live in light of your grace. In Jesus' name.